Okay, we're continuing our series on the person and work of Christ. And um, as we come to this section on the offices of Christ, last week we dealt with an overview of the offices of Christ, but as we look at prophet, priest, and king, we're really moving largely from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are three offices of Christ, a prophet, priest, and king. And this was a, um, it's, it's always been in the scripture, but it was really discovered and probably uh, popularized, if I can use that term, in the Reformation, uh, largely by John Calvin and his institutes in the 1500s. Uh, but it, it's really a helpful uh, construct for us to understand the ways in which Jesus has served uh, the will of the Father in accomplishing redemption. And as we, we look at these three offices, prophet, priest, and king, we're, we're going to see ways in which the Father and the Son had in eternity past entered into an agreement to save an elect seed, a great number of men and women and boys and girls. And the Son came to accomplish that purpose, that very specific purpose. And he accomplished that purpose in each of these offices, prophet, priest, and king, and actually did that both before his incarnation, during his incarnation, and, and after the incarnation. So he, we mentioned earlier that there are three offices, and he exercises those offices of prophet, priest, and king, both in his estate of <clears throat> humiliation and exaltation. Humiliation is... The, the, the incarnation and suffering of the Lord Jesus. And the exaltation of the Lord Jesus is his resurrection, his ascension, and his present uh, session at the right hand of the Father. But he continues to fulfill each of these offices of prophet, priest, and king. And as we consider these three offices, they minister to our needs. We, we looked last time at something that, that Francis Turretin in the 1600s had developed looking at the three needs that we have, ignorance, guilt, and bondage. Ignorance being not knowing what we need to know in terms of how can we be rightly related to God, how can we be saved. Guilt meaning our culpability before holy God, our, 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 our guilt as sinners both by what we do and who we are. And our bondage to sin being literally, as the scripture tells us, in the domain of darkness and then ultimately redeemed and brought into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we look at these offices and each of these offices are instrumental in accomplishing the, the plan of redemption that was developed in eternity past. And, and as Paul tells us in Galatians 4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law that he might redeem those under the law. But in the fullness of time, the Lord Jesus took on human flesh. In John 1, in the prologue, the first 18 verses or so of the first chapter, uh, John tells us about the Word, and the Word became flesh, and the Word dwelt among us. And, the, and, and So there's all the ways in which the incarnation reveals uh, the character of God, but we're going to develop that. But he, the, the, again, the work of salvation accomplished by prophet, priest, and king, both in his estate of humiliation, state of exaltation, and, uh, and in terms of meeting these different needs, uh, ignorance, guilt, and, uh, and bondage. They, just to remind us, I'm just going to read from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's a very brief question. The, the question is, how does Christ execute the office of a prophet? 
And the answer is Christ executes the office of a prophet in revealing to us, by his word and spirit, the will of God for our salvation. So there is a revelatory function where Jesus reveals to us all that we need to know for our salvation. And if you think about it, it it was so instrumental in accomplishing the the plan of, of salvation that was developed in eternity past between the Father and the Son and implemented by the Spirit, of course, as well. But for us to be saved, we have to know what we, we have to know. How will we be saved? What's required for us to enter into the kingdom of God? And Jesus reveals that to us by His Word and by His Spirit. So that that's sort of an introduction. But uh, as we look at our notes, uh, just a brief word here from Kim Riddleberger, uh, the second paragraph. This model, as he describes it, uh, enables us to connect the work of Christ, who has secured our redemption, which we discover only in the pages of Scripture with our present experience and struggles as Christians. And then he mentions Francis Turretin, and Christ's work overcame our ignorance, our guilt, and our corruption, or our bondage. And even now provides us with illumination, redemption, and hope. So that's a a quick overview, but as we unpack this, um, what does it mean that Christ is prophet? It, It means that he reveals to us by his word and by his spirit all that we need to know for salvation, the, the Father's plan for us for salvation. As we look at Deuteronomy 18, Moses, in a, in a prophetic word, inspired by the Holy Spirit, of course, and, and the Holy Spirit was sent by uh, the Lord Jesus himself to, to accomplish all these things. Um, Deuteronomy 18:15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, and you will listen to him. This was an intimation very early in the Torah, uh, the Pentateuch, that there would be the Lord Jesus who would come in the office of a prophet. And Peter, in Acts chapter 4, specifically ties in what Jesus is, or who Jesus is, and what he has done with this exact prophecy in Deuteronomy 18. But there are a number of ways in which Jesus is described in terms of his names. He's described as a teacher, and all of these are revelatory. All of these are disclosing to us what we need to know in order to be saved. Teacher, apostle of our confession, the angel of the covenant in Malachi chapter 3, uh, the word of God, uh, John chapter 1, the very wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians 1, and the treasure of wisdom and understanding in Colossians chapter 2. But even as we look at what does it mean for Christ to be prophet, it required that he be both God and man. So we're, we're, we're seeing a lot of this being all brought together. We've looked previously at the deity and the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and for him to fulfill these function, f- functions as prophet and as priest and as king, um, it required that he be both God and man. When we say, why did he have to be God? Because who else could possibly disclose to us the will of, of God? And in John chapter 1, uh, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. And this is referring to Jesus. So we haven't seen God, but how have we seen God? We, the Lord Jesus has revealed the Father to us. And the word that is used for explained is a word from which we derive the word exegesis, literally exposits the very character of of the Father to us. So when we see Jesus, we see God, because he is God, and he's revealed to us all that we need to know about God. John chapter 3, 
No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. In, in Jesus' earthly nature, he was on earth, obviously in the incarnation, but in his divine nature, he is present in every place. Both of these things are true simultaneously. He's both localized on earth and also simultaneously in every single place in his divine nature. And you can see this in John chapter 1, verse 48, where he's telling Nathaniel before, uh, I, I saw you. And how could that be? Because he's literally present in every place in his divine capacity. So you can look at John chapter 1, verse 48, which gives him the, the infinite authority to speak on all subjects because he's the God-man. Another passage that, that is, is helpful, 1 Corinthians 2 who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God, next page, no one knows except the spirit of God. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have, what, the mind of Christ. What's being revealed? The mind of Christ. How do we have the mind of Christ? With the Holy Spirit. We have a new nature, regeneration. And we have the Holy Spirit who grants illumination so that we can understand these things. Without the ministry of the Holy Spirit revealing Christ to us, we would be in darkness. We would be in ignorance. So we can see that only God could reveal himself in this way. But it also required that, that Jesus be man in his humanity so that he could reveal the, the God himself and the plan of God for our salvation by his own person. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions in many ways, God had been speaking through, through the Old Testament prophets and, and just all sorts of types of narrative and prophecy and, uh, and poetic literature and, and so on, revealing Christ. In these last days, has spoken to us, how? In his Son. So if you consider the, the role of a prophet to reveal to us everything that we need to know for salvation, Hebrews, the author of Hebrews tells us that God has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the word, uh, the world. Pardon me. So let's we'll transition into unpacking this in, in a little bit more detail. But representing God to man and revealing to us everything that we need to know about salvation. Well, he's, how, how does he do that? He is the light of the world, uh, John chapter 1, uh, and he, he's revealed to us. Um, God himself, uh, John chapter 1, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So he's the light that reveals to us all that we need. And even John 14, Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say Show us the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding me in me does his works. Some very important statements in that passage in John 14. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. So the role of a prophet is to disclose the plan of God, is to reveal to us what we need to know. So when Jesus is revealing the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And what he says is, I don't say anything except on my own initiative, but I'm, but I'm revealing to you what the Father has given to me to reveal. So that's the prophetic role of, of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And you've got all of these types and shadows in the Old Testament. Uh, 
messianic prophecies, types, uh, direct prophecies and the like. And, and all of those are pointing forward to Christ. But how were those revealed? Uh, the scripture tells us in the New Testament that, that all scripture has been breathed out by God. And that, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 talks about the role of the Holy Spirit in bringing the word of God to us. Well, who sent the Holy Spirit? Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. And, and so we've got the, the work of the Spirit accomplishing the revelatory function of Christ the prophet. So that, again, I'm tying this back in with you. What's the role of, of Jesus as prophet? It's to reveal to us by his word and by his spirit all that we need to know for salvation. So Jesus revealing to us by direct disclosure, by his teaching, and by the revelation of the Father, and by the ministry of the Spirit. So when we look at the, 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 the revelatory function of Christ as prophet, we have to also remember that the, the Holy Spirit is revealing Christ, and, and Jesus sends the Spirit. Second Peter chapter 1, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time Notice the language here. The Spirit of Christ within them was indicating, as he predicted, the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. So what's the source of the information that was disclosed by the Old Testament prophets? The Spirit of Christ. As Christ is revealing himself through his word, through these prophetic utterances by the the Old Testament prophets. Top of page 3. I mentioned Deuteronomy 18 earlier. This is the passage that we often go to when we look at the prophetic function of the Lord Jesus as one of his offices. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And Peter, I mentioned this earlier, I said Acts 4, pardon me, it's Acts chapter 3, um, actually specifically ties in the Lord Jesus Christ with Moses' pronouncement in Deuteronomy 18. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he is thus fulfilled. So repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. And here's where Peter specifically identifies Jesus as the one that Moses is revealing in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 18. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And so it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people, etc. So you've got... Moses speaking in the Old Testament about a prophet that would come in like manner, revealing everything that needed to be known. And and Peter's saying that prophet that was being mentioned by by Moses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as the Spirit of Christ was working in the prophets, pointing forward to the Messiah. That prophet in Deuteronomy 18 is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus specifically identifies himself as a prophet. In, in Luke 13, uh, the Lord says that he, he, he speaks only the things that are um, given to him by the Father. So as he reveals these things to, to us from the Father, he is, he is fulfilling this saving function. And again, we're tying all of this in. In eternity past, the Father and the Son entered into an undertaking 
to save an elect seed. A great number, a, a vast number, but a definite number. When Jesus came, he came to live and to die for those whom the Father gave to him. We, we looked at this earlier when we looked at the doctrines of grace, and we looked at the design of the atonement, which was not simply to make a provision for salvation, but to actually secure the salvation of those whom the Father gave to him. So when we're looking at, at all of this, uh, the, the prophetic function, it's integral to the, the implementation of this plan from eternity past. And I hope, you, hope, hope you're seeing how all of this is, is absolutely necessary for the Father's will and the Son's execution of this will to be accomplished. John 12, Jesus says, I do not speak, I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. That's a prophetic function. The Old Testament prophets were not to speak about anything other than what God had given them. They, they didn't speak on their own initiative. They had no latitude in what they were to speak. And keep in mind that these, these offices, prophet, priest, and king, that Jesus executes both in his state of humiliation and exaltation, are the perfect fulfillment of those offices in the Old Testament, where you had prophets, priests, and kings. They all look forward to Christ. And Christ is the fulfillment of every single one of those offices. So Jesus is doing exactly what the Old Testament prophets did, and that is speaking the exact disclosure that was given to them. Again, no latitude, no, 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 no message other than what had been given to them from God himself. In John 14, do, not believe, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. And then he goes on to say on the next page, the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And in John 15, Jesus says, All things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. And in John 17, the high priestly prayer uh, section, Jesus, as he's praying to the Father, says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. Now, notice this, to, to a couple of things. First of all, what does Jesus do? He, he manifests the Father's name, but to whom does he manifest those, uh, the, the, the Father's will? To those whom the Father has given him out of the world. So you've got a definite group. You've got an elect seed that is being redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, those who were given uh, to, to, for Jesus to save. And in verse 8 of John 17, the words you gave me, this is Jesus directly praying to the Father, I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. John 16, another reference to the prophetic work of Christ. Uh, when the people saw the signs that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. So it's very clear. I don't know if you've seen Jesus' prophet before, but it's clear that, number one, he is fulfilling the prophetic function of the Old Testament. All of these offices, prophet, priest, and king, were anointed offices. And Jesus was anointed. He, Isaiah 11 speaks of, of that. And, of course, he was, he was, at his baptism, he was anointed with the, with the Spirit of God. And so he's fulfilling these Old Testament anointed offices. <clears throat> and, but also, all of these are instrumental in this work that he's done to, to accomplish. So did it just... Cease can I, it, it, when, he, when he was on earth was with his incarnation? And the answer is no. 
Does Jesus continue as a prophet? And the answer is yes, he does. All of these offices continue in both in his uh, state of humiliation and his state of exaltation. And we'll look at that next week, Lord willing, when we consider uh, the priestly office of the Lord Jesus. But one of the, the theologians, <clears throat> uh, Louis Burkhoff, says Christ continues his prophetic activity through the world through the operation of the Holy Spirit. When you look at, at John uh, chapter 14, verse 16, and you look at John 16, verse 7 and 8, it's very clear that who sent the Spirit? Jesus sends the Spirit. And there's a passage in John 14 that talks about the Father sending the Spirit in the name of Jesus. What's the role of the Spirit? The role of the Spirit is multiple. Number one, to bring uh, illumination, uh, to bring regeneration, uh, to uh, bring the Word of God. Um, and, and all of these things are revelatory in nature. Some of them are, are through the, how do we have the Scriptures without the, the work of the Holy Spirit. All scriptures inspired by God or God breathe, and it's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is fulfilling uh, the revelatory function so that Jesus would be manifested in the, in the Word of God. But how would we understand these things unless uh, the Holy Spirit grants us a new life, regeneration? How would we understand these things unless the Spirit grants illumination? 1 Corinthians 2, for instance, tells us that the natural man does not understand the things of God. The, the, the person has to have illumination. This is a, a ministry of the Holy Spirit. And why is that necessary? Because unless we had a new heart, work of the Holy Spirit, and unless we had illumination where we would understand these things, how would we respond to the gospel? So you can see that the, 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 tri, the triune God himself bringing this plan that was developed between the Father and the Son and eternity past into fruition, not only in his incarnation, but even presently through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that's why the Reformed Catechisms will say that Christ fulfills his, the work of prophet both in, in his own word and by his spirit, both in his estate of humiliation and exaltation. But Burkhoff makes this point that he teaches not only by verbal communication, what, he, what Jesus said, but also by the facts of revelation, such as his incarnation, his death, and his resurrection, and his ascension. So I'm going to skip over to uh, page 5. We, we talked earlier uh, about the role of the Spirit inspiring uh, God-breathed Word, uh, all scriptures inspired by God. And the focus of the scriptures, how would we know about Christ apart from the scriptures? Jesus says in John 5, um, to, to those who were around him, he said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And what does he say about the scriptures? It is in these that testify about me. So when we, when we look at the scriptures, they point to Christ from, from the very beginning to the very end. It, starting with Genesis 3.15, as early as the first um, evangel, the, the proto-evangelium as it's sometimes called, the first gospel about the seed of the woman crushing the head of the serpent. And, and so all of these passages, from the very opening passages of, of Genesis all the way to the end of our New Testament, just pointing to Christ. Not necessarily every single passage, but certainly in every single book we're pointing to Christ, we're looking at, at the work of Christ, we're, we're looking to what he came to accomplish. But then we, we, I mentioned earlier this work of illumination. So you have two aspects to the prophetic work of Christ. You've got the revelatory function, 
And, and then secondly, you've got the illuminating function. When I talk about illumination, it's one thing to reveal something, to, to say something. But if you're speaking to an audience and the audience has no capacity to understand what's being said, the, the message is not getting through. And, and the scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit has to grant illumination or literally no one will understand. No one will grasp what's being said. No one will appropriate the scriptures unless the Holy Spirit grants a new life and grants illumination and takes away the veil that is keeping their heart from understanding the truth. I, just from personal experience, you know, the, the authority for what I'm saying is scripture, but by way of personal illustration, I was given a Bible when I was just a, a young man by my mom. It's what she wanted me to have. She, she loved me. She wanted me to have a, a copy of the Bible. And I, I would read parts of it, but did I understand it? I'm reasonably intelligent. I understood what the words said, but did, did it really resonate with my heart, with my soul? No, it didn't. It, it, it was just cascading off, off of me, not, not sinking in. And why was that? Because I was not born again. What was the first thing I wanted to do when I was converted to Christ? I, first, I couldn't wait to go out and get a Bible. I, I was in Houston, Texas, working at the Manned Spacecraft Center, and I was in an apartment in, in Houston. And the first thing I, I, I said after I got off my knees, first thing I said is, i got to go get a Bible. I couldn't wait to get a Bible. That's, that's the first thing that generally when someone's born again, they, they can't wait to get into God's Word. I hope that's your experience. I, that certainly is, is indicative of the new life. Is I, I want to know what God has to say. I'm, I'm now his child. I, I want to, to understand these things. But I would not have understood any of that if the Holy Spirit had not granted a new heart and granted illumination. And there's many parts I don't understand even now, but I, but I do understand enough to, 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 to grasp the, the themes of Scripture. But as we go on, the Holy Spirit is the, the, is the Scripture's divine author, 2 Timothy 3.16, and he opens our hearts and our minds to hear the Lord's voice as, as we read his word. Uh, in John 16, when the Spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And notice this, this is so similar to what Jesus said. He said, I don't speak on my own initiative. I speak with what the Father has given me. But in John 16, talking about the Spirit of God, he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, Jesus, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. So how does Jesus accomplish his work of prophet, both by his word and spirit? And in Acts 16, Lydia, uh, by regeneration, by opening the heart, the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. So Jesus accomplishes his prophetic work both directly through the Word and through the operation of the Holy Spirit who grants illumination and regeneration. And, and, it, and it goes on today. Um, it, it's, I'm just going to read this one paragraph. Christ, our prophet, speaks to us today through the pages of his Word. In fact, whenever a minister of the Word opens the Scriptures for us, there is a profound sense in which Christ, our prophet, is speaking to us through his word, every bit as much as if he himself were standing in our presence and speaking these words audibly. Have you ever considered that? When, when you're, you're sitting in, in the, the, the community of the saints in, in church and the scriptures being read, we, you're literally hearing the voice of Christ coming to you. And it, he uses means, he uses frail human beings to accomplish his means, 
But as we'll see in a moment, even Ephesians 4 talks about God sending forth apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the building up of the body of Christ. Who sent them forth? If you look at Ephesians 4, it's Christ who sent them forth. And why did Christ send forth pastors and teachers? For the building up of the body of Christ, his bride. And so when you have office bearers who are handling the word of God to you, they literally are sent by Christ so that that, that Christ's function as prophet can be accomplished in your midst. And so when the word of God is being read, from this, from, it has the same authority as if Christ himself were literally speaking to you. And he is through his word. And, and that's the authority that, that, that the scripture has for each of us. Well, in the time that remains, I'm just going to point to John Flavel. I had a book, uh, has a book. Uh, he's a Puritan, um, 17th century. He was a contemporary with Francis Turretin, by the way. So they, they both looked at things through a very similar lens. But as I've read his book, it deals with the three offices of Christ, and it is just magnificent. The Puritans had a, a remarkable way of unpacking the scriptures and, and developing all sorts of applications. So I'm just going to work through this in, in a rather cursory fashion. But Flavel talks about the fact that Christ's prophetic office consists of two parts, and I think this is helpful for you to consider. The first is external, dealing with the revelation of the will of God to man. John 17, 6. The second is internal, consisting of illumination of the mind and inclination of the heart. That's illumination and that's regeneration, so that you embrace the revelation. And as, again, as we're going through this, you're, you're seeing, so in, in eternity past, the Father and the Son entered into an undertaking to save an elect seed. So the Father sent forth the Son to take on human flesh to live a life that none of us could ever live, that a life of perfect obedience, to suffer the wrath that we deserve in our place, to propitiate the wrath of the Father, and he did that. And in order to accomplish that saving work, the Holy Spirit has to grant regeneration so that we have faith, faith is a gift of God, and illumination so that we understand these things, But everything that we need to understand is being revealed to us by the Son of God himself in his prophetic function. So I'm beginning to, I hope you're seeing all this begin to tie together. All of this is instrumental in not only fulfilling these Old Testament offices, but in accomplishing this saving work in eternity past. And in his prophetic office, he's dealing specifically with your ignorance, the, the blindness that you have. Remember, Turretin talked about the three needs that, 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 that we're laboring under, ignorance or blindness, guilt, and corruption, and, and, and uh, bondage to sin. In his prophetic office, he's dealing with our, our blindness so that we, we can know the truth. As priest, as we'll look at it, he's, de- he's dealing with our guilt. And as king, he's reigning over us and dealing with our bondage to sin and delivering us from the bondage to Satan and has brought us into the domain of his beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he rules over us. So each of these three offices specifically meet the needs that we have so that we can be children of God and so that we can be children of God and accomplish this purpose that started in eternity past. I know I'm being redundant, but I'm hoping that you're grasping how all of this fits together, and so that we'll, we'll worship the Lord Jesus Christ with even more fervor. But again, this is, uh, I'm just really relating to you what, uh, what on page six, 
Um, what's implied in, in Christ's role as prophet first, it implies that people are naturally ignorant and blind in the things of God. He goes on to say that the things of God are not only contrary to corrupt and carnal reason or fleshly reason, but they're above right reason. An unsaved person will not plumb the depths of God. An unsaved person may be incredibly bright, may have a high IQ, may be very well read, but they will not on their own understand and embrace the saving message of Christ. They will not. The mind of a natural man has a native blindness by reason of which it cannot discern the things of the Spirit. It also has a natural enmity. And until the mind is healed and enlightened by Christ, the natural faculty cannot discern the things of the Holy Spirit. So you've got this this function of the, the Lord God himself revealing himself and the Spirit of God granting illumination. Second, it implies that Christ is true God. Who else can reveal the secret counsels of God but he who lays in the bosom of the Father? Third, it implies that Christ is the original fountain of all that light which is diffused by ministers. This is an application that, that Flavel is bringing with the prophetic office of Christ. Those who teach others must first be taught by Christ. He goes on to say Christ is the chief shepherd, and all the under-shepherds receive their gifts and commissions from him. So application, what do we do? This is typical Puritan literature. Number one, believers require a standing ministry in the church. Christ now teaches us by his ministers. And he has fixed them in the church by a firm commission to remain to the end of the world, Matthew 28. He gave them to the church at his ascension. That's Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. Lesson 2, page 7. The weakest believers do not need to be discouraged by the dullness they find in themselves. Christ is not only a patient teacher, but he can reveal to babes what is hidden from the wise and the learned. I take encouragement from that personally. But at the very end of that paragraph, if we know Christ and the truth as it is in him, one drop of our knowledge is worth a whole sea of other people's natural abilities. Keep that in mind. If you know Christ, you know you have a treasure chest of, of, of what you need to know. Don't, don't be intimidated by those who will try to, to say, I, I know so much. Lesson three, prayer is a proper means of increasing knowledge. Prayer is the golden key that unlocks the treasure. If Christ is our teacher, it becomes all his saints to be at his feet. Lesson four, believers know how to judge and discern doctrines. And he goes at the bottom of that paragraph, we must examine what we're taught by this rule. Whatever doctrine encourages sin, exalts self, accommodates earthly designs and interests, bends to the lusts of men, makes those who profess it carnal, turbulent, proud, or sensual, did not come from Christ. His doctrine leads to godliness. His truth sanctifies. Consider that, that paragraph when you, when you think about what sometimes fills the pulpits in popular evangelicalism today and, and the, the, the antinomianism or the lawlessness that unfortunately pervades much of the Christian community, at least the professing Christian community. Evaluate what you're taught by, does this foster godliness? Does it foster adoration for Christ? Does it foster obedience for Christ or or the contrary? Lesson five, believers may judge who are sent by Christ, the prophet to declare his will. Goes on to say they take Christ for their pattern the whole course of their work and sincerely endeavor to imitate the great shepherd as follows. First, Christ was a faithful minister. The implication is truth must be spoken. You, You don't... Uh, shave off the truth. You don't compromise the truth. Second, Christ was a tender-hearted minister. He was full of compassion, 
and the same compassion must be in his under-shepherds. Next page, Christ was a laborious minister. He was never idle. His ministers must resemble him in this. For Christ delighted in nothing more than the success of his ministry. It's the same with those who are sent by him. Now, when Flavel is talking about the success of ministry, he's not talking about numbers. He's not talking about popularity. He's not talking about appeal to the unsaved community. He's not talking about being in the, in the bright lights of public favor. He's talking about, is this accomplishing the will of the Father? Is this bringing men and women into growth in the Lord Jesus Christ? Is this uh, bringing the gospel to an unsaved world? Is this uh, fostering development in the bride of Christ? That's, that's really the point that Flavel is making. So when he talks about success, it has absolutely no resemblance to what that word means in many circles today. Christ was a minister who lived up to his doctrine. Likewise, his ministers must approve themselves. His life was a comment on his doctrine. And then lastly, Christ was a minister who minded and maintained sweet and secret communion with God. Let the keepers of the vineyards remember that they have a vineyard of their own to keep, a soul to look after. So those are things to remember. And, and you can look at, at the rest of this, uh, pages 8, 10. But the flavor is, is talking about uh, the, the way in which illumination uh, comes in. And, and I've dealt with this previously. So how do we, how do we sum this up? The, the role of a prophet is to reveal by word and spirit what we need to know for salvation. This was accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ, both in his person, directly with his teaching, and in his work, in his cross work, and in his resurrection, and his ascension, and in the ministry of the Spirit, whom he sent. And the function of the Spirit is to bring forth the scriptures, to, to bring about regeneration, so that the elect will understand and illumination so that their hearts will be open and their minds will be open to the teaching of Scripture so that, in fact, they, can, they will embrace the truth and grow. So, again, all of these fulfillments of Old Testament types, but the work of Jesus is prophet. Uh, it, this is one of three offices, and I'm, I'm hopeful that as we reflect on this that we'll be more grateful, more thankful. What, was, what has Christ done for us? He's revealed to us everything that we know, need to know for salvation. And everything that's required for us to understand and embrace that truth is also given to us by Christ. So he's fulfilling the will of the Father and drawing those whom the Father gave to him so that they would be truly born again, men and women, boys and girls in Christ. Much to consider. This is the office of prophet. Uh, next week, again, Lord willing, we'll look at the, the work of Christ as priest, uh, where he deals with our guilt. And then lastly, uh, Christ as king. Father, we've only really skimmed the surface uh, to some extent of what it means for the Lord Jesus to be uh, Christ, uh, to be prophet, uh, in revealing to us by his word and spirit all that we need to know for our salvation. But I, I pray, fathers, we reflect upon these truths, uh, that we will be filled with thankfulness, that we will grow in our adoration of Christ, that our obedience to Christ uh, will be uh, made uh, even more earnest uh, as we seek to accomplish his will in our lives out of thankfulness uh, to him for all that he has done and does do for us. Lord, we're, we're grateful for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ who has redeemed us from sin and death and hell and has delivered us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light. We come to exalt him and, and give thanks in his name. Amen. Amen.